3: Podcast. Uh, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pacaday Podcast, your one stop shop for all things green and gold. My name is Mike Wellman, and joining me on this Sunday is Jimmy Christensen and Gage Bridgeford. And guys, it's uh, it's a new week. We got some defensive players to talk about but first go Jimmy, first, how are you guys doing? Pretty
4: good, man. Just, uh, it's super hot in Milwaukee
3: right now, so I'm just trying to enjoy the A.C. That's the thing, I have mine shut off, so we don't have any background noise up here in mid-Wisconsin. It's pretty warm as well. How about you, Gage? Uh, pretty warm here as well. Uh, keeping busy, keep, uh, trying to keep
5: cool and get out and be productive, but that's not happening a whole lot here of late.
3: Yeah, we. I think we definitely know the feeling with summer now coming to a full head in the middle of July. But as we kind of teased earlier for today's podcast topic. Last week, they talk, the guys talked about the top 10 list on the offensive side. We have the list for the defensive side. We're going to break those down, take a look at who fits where, where we might see some Packers pop up, whether they're too low, too high, just right, and maybe see if the media and everyone got stuff right. So we'll just jump right in. We'll start with the interior defensive line. And I know Gage, you did a lot of the work on this one, but we'll just jump right in. Uh, the number one defensive lineman, Aaron Donald, I think there's really no debate there. He's arguably the best all-around football player in the NFL. Is there is there any options other than Aaron Donald? Um, um, he was the only guy, uh, regardless of all positions on this ESPN
5: like voting thing, he was the only guy at any position to receive only number one votes. And one NFC scout called him the best player in football. So when I saw that he was number
3: one, I had... No surprise.
4: Yeah, I would, I would have never read another ESPN thing if he wasn't number one.
3: Yeah, he's, he is really something else. He's already a, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, no doubt, and he's definitely become the best defensive lineman for the past half decade. Number two, the, one of the richest men in football now, Chris Jones of the Kansas City Chiefs. He comes in at number two, and two and three could be a little bit debated because Fletcher Cox of the Eagles was number three. Uh, what do you guys think of those two guys? Are they in the right spot? Could you flip them? Uh, if you were a GM, which one would you rather take?
4: I think, and we'll probably get this one. Uh, Gage already mentioned this when you talked about Frank Clark, but Jones just coming off a Super Bowl win. I think it's easy to kind of give him a nod on this list. I don't know. I I'd take either one honestly at this
5: point, but I'd probably just go with Fletcher Cox. Uh, me personally, I would go. I like the ranking of Chris Jones over Fletcher Cox. One big reason he's three years younger. He's 26 uh, versus Fletcher Cox's uh, 29. Um, you have the aspect of Chris Jones is a better all-around pa- – is a better pass rusher. Fletcher Cox may be a better all-around player, especially when, um, like, spearheading that run, ga- like that run game. But he only had three-and-a-half sacks last year versus uh, Jones had 24-and-a-half sacks over the last two seasons. Uh, he had a stretch of, like, 16 games where he registered a sack every game. He is the heart of that, like, front – like, that defensive front in Kansas City. And when he's going – he can wreck a game plan, so I'm okay with it. I like it. If I'm building around one of those two guys, I'm taking Chris Jones nine times out of ten.
3: Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that, one, Gage. I think Fletcher Cox might be the more well-rounded player, but the in the dominant impact that Jones can make is is out of this world. And he and he's when he got I remember the question about him when he got drafted. He has allayed all of those with how good he's been. Well, the next three from the Colts to Forrest Buckner was at four. Wisconsin's own J.J. Watt at five, and Cam Hayward at six. And so we have a, a young guy still rising, a couple of guys who have been around the league a while, and, of course, J.J. Watt, who's been kind of injured. Uh, what do you guys think of those three? Personally, I would probably have Cam Hayward at four, but what do you guys think?
5: Uh, I personally think Buckner is kind of riding that Chris Jones and then Frank Clark, like we talked about before. This, was, he's riding a recent wave of success. He's been good for the past uh, two seasons, like, he's been really good, but I don't know if I would put him over more established guys that are behind him on this list. Uh, I also think that he was in a perfect situation last year between Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead, who had a career year, and uh, D. Ford, who's out there, and Solomon Thomas, who has struggled for being the third overall pick, but he's still a he was in the perfect situation. If he could replicate the numbers that he put up last year in Indy, I... I would definitely put him in at number four. I have, would have no problem. But right now, I just I would be more comfortable with guys that I know what I'm going to get out of them. Like J.J. J. Watt last year, even when he was like dealing with injuries, the guy was still still a freak. He had he came back from that injury. What was it? A torn pec that he suffered in the middle of the year, or something like that. And they said he was done for the year. Came back to the playoffs, and he was a dominant force in the playoffs because he's just that good. When he's healthy, he's simply that good. So I, I would probably put J.J., then Cam Hayward, and then um, Buckner, but that's just nitpicking.
4: Yeah, I'm with you, too. Uh, interesting enough, I, I interviewed Elton Jenkins this summer, uh, part of my interview series, and I asked him who his hardest person to go against all season was. He actually picked a force Buckner. Uh, he said just his body type is different than everyone else. He's so lanky and long that it was hard to get control of him, but... I was kind of excited to even go to the AFC, but then I've realized we play the Colts, so it doesn't really matter because we have to see him anyways. But I know you mentioned this is gonna be a big year for him. He's he's leaving the he left the 49ers. It's gonna if he can like you said reproduce those stats he did, then it shows that it didn't really matter his supporting cast. He's still dominant. But I think until that happens, you have to put him behind Watt and uh, Hayward. But I guess I guess my question to you is for Watt. He was dominant when he came back, but how much do you play? Like the first word on his thing is durability. Like he's not
5: very durable. Like, do you think that should play into the rankings at all? I think that's somewhat baked in. If you're, if we're being real here, like I think that if you knew you were going to get 16 games out of J.J. Watt, you, if you're going to get 16 games out of every player on this list, I think he would have been number two. Like I think, it, it, like if you, like that is the only reason that he is not ranked as the number two player on this list. In my opinion, is just because of his durability thing. His highest ranking was third. Lowest ranking of nine. And I think that his durability is caked into his ranking right now. I think that when he's fully healthy, he's still one of the best defensive players that we've ever seen and probably the best defensive player I've seen in my lifetime.
2: Well,
3: I don't, know okay. old, I don't know how old you are, Gage, but there was that guy named Reggie who... I'm 25,
5: so Reggie... I don't have any memory of Reggie, unfortunately.
4: There's also the guy who'd be ahead of him, Aaron Donald. But I guess if you take him out of it, like I could, I could agree with you, but...
5: Well, so if you compare J.J. Watt's peak streak to Aaron Donald's peak streak, J.J.'s was better. But I think that part of the problem is Aaron Donald gets, like, double-teamed so much and he exclusively rushes from the inside versus J.J.'s had opportunities to rush from the edge. So I think that that's part of the reason that there's less, like, stat production on Donald's side. But I would just – I they're, okay, you're, you're splitting hairs here. Yes, they're both outstanding players. And I think that J.J. is just – the only reason he's he's a three time defensive player of the year. He's been outstanding. I, you can take either one. You're not gonna I'm not gonna fight you on either player here, honestly.
3: Fair enough. So as we continue with the list, the next three, seven, eight, and nine, and Gage, you talked about Eric Armstead earlier. He comes in at number seven after his career year and his new contract. Akeem Hicks in Chicago comes in at number eight and Grady Jarrett of the Falcons comes in at number nine. We're gonna talk a lot about number ten in a couple minutes. So we'll get those three first Uh, and Jimmy, we'll go to you first. Where do you see these three guys? Because much like we talked about with Buckner, I personally think Armstead's a little high because he did come off a career year, and we'll see if he can keep it up without Buckner next to him.
4: Yeah, and that's the thing that's tough with these guys is we're coming off of – I know Buckner's been pretty productive since he's been in the NFL, but even with Armstead now, is like they made it to the Super Bowl, they had productive years, but now he's also losing a person next to him next season, and – I feel like they have to put it together a little bit longer before you put them this high on the list, but I don't know. I could be wrong on that, and I guess my question that I want to talk about towards the end, too, is if you think the 49ers made the right choice picking Armstead over
5: Buckner. Um, so quick a quick thing about Armstead, he had 10 sacks last season. definitely think he's ranked way too high. Like, I think he's ranked way too high. I think that he was in a perfect spot last year, and that's why he performed so well. And I think those that there were left off that I think should have been above him. But I think that they made the right choice because their system set up to where there's enough around him, and they know they're going to have to pay. I understand Nick is like, if they're going to try and get that extension done, they can. Like, is still going to try and start extending him? Uh, Buckner was going to cost a lot of money, as we saw. He's got, like, a five-year deal for $105 million. He got paid dead, uh, his prime. He could have another year like that, but... There was nothing in his first four seasons. He was going to do that. His previous career high is three. He had ten last year. I just, I don't know if I would have put him nearly that high. So I, I would be okay with bumping him down in quite a few spots. With,
4: with seasons like that, it just after the whole Nick Perry thing, it just makes me so nervous to pay people after their career years, just because, especially like obviously he's in a totally different situation. The D line's incredible in, uh, in San Francisco, but. Just paying someone so much after just one season of uh, getting double-digit sacks. Hopefully it screws the 49ers, so. Yeah. Fingers
3: crossed there. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And then we'll just jump right into number 10 because that is Kenny Clark. I think you could make a case for him as high as seven. uh, Because, like, a guy young in his prime, he's gotten better every year. He can play a lot of snaps. I'm glad he's in the top 10, but I still think he is perennially underrated. And I think he's a guy where if he has another year like this and he's going to get Chris Jones money, I think we're going to see him climbing this list very, very quickly, with how talented he naturally is. I think the problem for
5: Kenny is just always going to be the system that he plays in. Like Chris Jones, uh, Aaron Donald, all, Greg Jerre—all these other guys are given the opportunity to go rush the passer, and he's not really given that opportunity, as evidenced by his. own... He's like got a career high of six sacks. He's only ever had like nine quarterback hits is a, is a career high for him, and. He's, just, he's not set up in the same way to rack up the same numbers, and I think that's why he's always so underrated. Everyone's like, oh, well, he didn't put up 15 sacks this season. He didn't put up 10 sacks or whatever. He didn't play on a dominant defense like the 49ers or the Texans, which are actually weren't actually that good on defense last year, but they get credit for being good. So I think that's why he's put down so far. Like, Akeem Hicks was two spots in front of him. Grady Jarrett was a spot in front of him and I'm not going to complain about those. Like, Grady Jarrett's been really good for the past few years. Akeem Hicks is similar to Clark in that they're both, I think they don't get as much pub as they should. But the fact that Kenny Clark is 24, he's far and away the youngest guy on this list. Like, the closest in age to him is two years older than him, and Chris Jones and, uh, and DeForest Buckner. So... I think that Green Bay has got a rising star on defense, and they and I think he, he's going to have no problem replicating his production this year.
4: Yeah, I'm 100% with you. And I'm looking at PFF right now for the highest graded interior lineman for the first three seasons. It goes Donald, J.J. Watt, Geno Atkins, Chris Jones. Who we already talked about, and then Kenny Clark. So he's in a really great group there. Like he's shown his first three years, he's been incredible in the NFL. And, it's only, I, like you said, he's not putting up the numbers as other players, but he's doing his job. He's making plays from the inside. He's even six sacks as, a, as an interior lineman, still pretty impressive, especially when you it might not be your first thing to be going to. You know, I talked to him. I talked to him this summer. I got lucky and was able to connect. And he said part of his success in the middle is just not falling under the under the stigma of like as an interior lineman or a nose tackle. Like your job's just to stall the line or close gaps like he wants to be a dynamic and impactful player and we've seen that in his first few years with the Packers and hopefully we see it for a few more after he gets a big extension after this year
3: absolutely I remember when he was when he was drafted and not many people had him as a first round pick but he came in so young and and he's he just like you said he's just gotten better and better and better and he's going to be compensated handsomely for it over the next probably couple of months yeah I think they're going to be working on that once he arrives in Green Bay for camp but with the other dilemma, just a couple of other mentions I want to bring up that I think are interesting, because they're older guys. They've been around for a long time, and they've quietly had very, very good careers in Calais, Campbell, and Geno Atkins. And we, will talk, we all talked that we think Eric Armstead probably shouldn't be on here. Which one of those two guys would you put on in place of him, Campbell or Atkins? Campbell for me. I, see, I was going to go Atkins just for the fact of I, he's always productive, and he's on a,
4: I don't know, I just feel bad for the players who are dominant further they on just terrible team, so, you know, like, who else are you going to worry about on that defensive line, you know? Like, Atkins is the one that offensive linemen always and offensive coordinators are worrying about when you uh, face the Bengals.
5: Wait, who's, the, who, who's that other guy? Who, they have one other lineman who's quietly been really good.
3: Oh, uh, Carlos Dunlap?
2: Yes.
5: Yeah, Dunlap, who's, he's consistently good. Like, he, he was another one of those guys that was mentioned in that thing I was talking to you guys about earlier, about guys that were mentioned as underrated edge rushers. Carlos Dunlap, because he, he's, the, he's the one that knocks down like 10 passes a game, it seems, because he's always got his hands up. Oh, yeah. But now that they have DJ Reader next to Geno Atkins, that could be really, really exciting to watch. Um, but yeah, I would put Campbell, uh, I love his size, like he is the reason that Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner really have roles in this league, because he was that original just way too damn big to be in the league guy. And, like, he's just so big, so strong. Um, you can't block him one-on-one. He's just... He, him in Baltimore this year is just going to be scared. That front just blitzes so much. He's going to get free runs on the quarterback, so... I'm excited to watch him play for a good team this year. Uh, but, yeah, it would be Campbell for me. Uh, but I can understand putting Gino in there. gino has been just consistent throughout his career, constantly putting up good stats, playing well for a bad team, so... I wouldn't fight you on either one. Just can't would be my preference.
3: Yeah, I think a guy like you, know, Atkins could be someone Kenny Clark can model after a little bit. Just constantly just going upfield and ma- and getting into the backfield because Atkins has been exceptional that. He's been this sneaky athletic his entire time in Cincinnati. So now let's move on to the edge rushers. And spoiler alert, Z'Darrius Smith is not in the top ten and we're going to have a lot of gnashing of teeth over that one and we'll get to it. Uh, we'll start with their top three. And Khalil Mack comes in at number one, Chandler Jones at number two, the two all dec- two of the all-decade players. And then Nick Bosa comes in at number three. Jimmy, we'll go to you first. How do you think those top three shape out?
4: Um, I agree with the players. I personally, I really like Chandler Jones. It might be just my little bias against Khalil Mack, just because I'm salty we didn't get him and he's a bear, but... I just feel like Chandler, ever since he left the Patriots, and again, he's on a bad team, so he doesn't get as much buzz, but led the NFL in sacks last year, was just a dominant force, and he just, he's just he been consistent every year. So I, I I would have a preference for Chandler Jones, but I like all three of these players to be in the spots they are.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I, th- I think Jones should be number one as well, but Gage, what do you think? I think
5: they're both outstanding
3: players. I'll get to Nick Bosa in a minute, but
5: Chandler Jones and Kahlil Mack are both just – they're freak players. Chandler Jones has consistently passed over. Like, I don't even know that he got a vote last year for Defensive Player of the Year despite having, like, 20 sacks or whatever it was. He's outstanding. He's averaged 14 and a half sacks since 2015, which is great. He left New England and was successful, which is not something that we always see. So I love seeing that he can show that it's not just team specific. He's just a really good player. Khalil Mack, yes, it sucks The Green Bay didn't get him. But I love watching this guy play. Like, he is just watching him bully people. He's got, he can win with power. He can win with speed. He can win any way you want. And on a defensive team that has a lot of other good pieces on it, he just, I don't, like, he succeeded in Oakland where there was no other defense, and he succeeded in Chicago where where there is defensive pieces. So I'm not going to, like, you can split hairs over them all day long, but, if you like, if this list had come out and Chandler Jones was one and Columbus Mack was two, I wasn't gonna fight it. I think that they are firmly one and two, and you can pick and choose whichever one you like. Also, Nick Bosa should not be third. This dude has one season of production, and he was in an absolutely juiced defensive line room. Von Miller, who is four, should definitely have been above him. Von has been like has been great since he entered the NFL, and I just. Like, he only had eight sacks last year, but Bradley Chubb was out after, like, week two. I just, I don't see how you can put Nick Bosa there after just one season of production, and you're just hoping that he does it again. Kind of like we talked about earlier with Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner. If he does it again, great, go ahead, put him third. But I don't know that he's going to do that again next year. I don't. You
4: think there's some Super Bowl glow there?
5: I, I do. I think that there is a lot of bias towards San Francisco and we'll talk about another player that was in the Super Bowl who got ranked really highly. I think that he got viewed really highly. He played really well last year. Don't get don't don't get that confused. He smoked he he played really well against everybody all year long. It was great. But I can't I can't put him as the third best edge rusher in the NFL when I have one season of production, when he was in the perfect scenario last year. I need to see him, now that DeForest Buckner, the all-pro, is gone, let me go see Joey or Nick Bosa go and smoke everybody again. Let me see him do it again now that everyone's going to know what he's doing. If he can do it again, go for it, third, all day. But until then, I'm not putting him above guys that I know are all-pros and pro bowlers and Super Bowl MVPs.
4: Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. No, I.
3: You convinced me. Vaughn should definitely be three. I'm with you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you as well. I actually would have considered Vaughn at two, even, because I, I do have some concerns about Mac after what he, last year seemed like. There's times where he just didn't care, but I do think he, as good as he is, he's still going to be great going forward. But and I agree with you guys both. Nick Bosa shouldn't be 30 yet. Maybe in a year or two, but not yet. So the next few guys, Von Miller, like we said, comes in at four. Hundred million dollar man Miles Garrett comes in at number five. Now that he's eligible to play again. And Joey Bosa at number six with T J Watt at seven. And stop talking about the Draft Packers fans. It's over. But uh so with these four guys, what we've talked about Vaughn. What are your guys' thoughts on Garrett, Bosa and T J and where older Bosa and T J and where they
2: sit?
4: I really like Garrett. Um he finished with 10 sacks before he had his uh, his crazy moment on the field. But he's just – he's a freak athlete. He's super talented. I think we've only – he's only scratched the surface. He's 24 years old. I think it's only going to go up from here. He's going to have a crazy – did he – I might have missed it, but I know they were in talks with him for an extension. Did he get that yet?
3: He did, yes.
4: Okay, so he's going to have – guaranteed. Yeah, he's going to have – crazy money and hopefully that doesn't I always get nervous after they get paid so much because it's either it's going to motivate guys more or they start slowly going down because they don't have that money motivation but I this guy's he's incredible so I'm good with Garrett being at five uh Joey Bosa too he's they're he's are really productive this list honestly is just so stacked I think out of all of them this is the most impressive list I really don't have too many uh Complaints with the the next few we talked about.
5: A quick mention about Miles Garrett. So he is his top vote, highest ranking was one. His lowest ranking was ten. And I don't think that they're wrong. He's 24 years old, and if he didn't have that issue with the helmet last year, I think that he probably would have been third on this list. With the pace that he was on, I think that he would have easily outclassed Nick Bosa and I think that he would have gotten votes over Miller just due to the fact that Miller only had eight sacks, and he's on the older side. Garrett is, like you said, a freak athlete. Like, this dude, you shouldn't be his size and move the way that he does. He gets a little washed out by, like, physical tackles, but I also think that his speed just makes him so hard to defend at times. I can understand having the the worry that he's going to, like, drop off because he got paid, but I think that this guy's going to come out with something to prove this year, and the I don't envy the tackles that have to face him at the beginning of the year because, like, if he, he catches anybody that is either a rookie or a young guy or in a new situation, I think that he's going to have his way with them for an afternoon.
4: Do you think he's kind of what people were hoping and expected to on Clowney to be coming out of cl- college?
5: Yes and no. Clowney, I think, was more of a combination of power with speed versus Garrett, I think, is more of a combination of speed with power. Like, he's... He's like the saint he's like the same like the same animal, just kind of flipped almost. Yeah. Like Garrett wins more with speed and clowney wins more with power. So I think that Garrett has been what you want clowney to be. Clowney, I think the problem with him is he was so hyped they had yeah. so much time to look at Clowney and then he's struggled with injury and else and is just continually to continues to knock him down. So I think yeah, I think Garrett has been what people were hoping Clowney would be, but he's been better than I think anybody actually thought Clowney would, like, peek at. Mm. Okay. And also, so Joey Bosa, like, like you said, this is a loaded list. Um, he's really, he, he is, unlike Nick, like, I think Nick wins on a lot of athleticism and just being better than people he goes up against are, like, fast versus I think Joey's a better technician, which I really love. Um, I love technical players because it gives me a safe floor, which is um, something I always look for. Like, if I'm playing fantasy football and I write about fantasy football, I want guys with a safe, super high ceiling that may never reach it. And Joey is that kind of guy, whereas Nick might flame out because his, like, athleticism might dwindle. Joey's going to be just technically working over people for years. And also, T.J. Watt being seven seems kind of low to me, but whatever. It's crazy with Watt. He's...
4: Just looking at some of the stuff they're saying, just he won on 27.7% of his pass rushes, which was the most out of anyone on this list. Uh, and then even just thinking too, like he played tight end in college, so this isn't even his natural position, and it's still just the production he's having at the highest level with this. Um, if, don't get me wrong, or correct me if I'm wrong. He only had one year on defense in college, right? Two
3: years on defense, but only one as a start. But one is a starter because he he had knee injuries and then
4: knee- yeah. So it's just. I don't know. What this guy can do is impressive. and Like, I know you said the get over the draft, but I still get really butthurt when I look at it sometimes.
3: That's fair. Ho- hopefully, Kevin King can have another big year and stay in Green Bay for a long time, and we can slowly get the taste out. But uh, moving on, number eight. Th- we debated this a lot before we started recording, and and we talked a couple times about Super Bowl bias and whether have, being in the Super Bowl this past year influences the rankings, and that's Frank Clark. Uh, and, and Clark Clark had a good year. He he did have a good year for Kansas City, and he played solidly in the playoffs. I just don't understand him at number eight over guys like Cam Jordan, who comes at number nine, DeMarcus Lawrence at ten, or on the honorable mentions list, Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith. Like uh, I I I like Clark. I think he's a good player, but I think those guys are more cons especially Jordan and Hunter, are more consistent um, and more can, more polished than what Clark can do.
4: Yeah. I I don't know. I think you kind of hit it all there. I think we've already said it multiple times. It's that, Kansas, it's that Super Bowl glow. They, he's productive, but I don't know. Daniil Hunter, I think, definitely deserves to be on this list, as much as that pains me to say. I think he's someone that should have taken his spot.
5: Looking at his playoff production and talking about the Super Bowl glow, so in three games he had five sacks, and he had seven quarterback hits and five tackles for loss. During the regular season, he had eight sacks in 14 games. He had 14 quarterback hits, 12 tackles for loss. So in literally, like, a fifth of the games, he had nearly just slightly less sack production, and then half the tackles for loss, and then half the quarterback hits. In the playoffs, he was a dominant force against in all three games. Granted, the Super Bowl was mostly the offensive side of the ball. The defense still had to get the job done, and Frank Clark was a major part of that. So... I think that that's probably part of it and I also I like he's never had any dominant like number of seasons. He put up 13 sacks 27 quarterback hits which is great, but I don't know if I would put that over guys like Daniil Hunter or especially Cam Jordan who is consistently good career, 15 out of sacks last season. Marcus Lawrence who gets overlooked because the Cowboys defense is never very good. So I, I don't know if I would put Clark as high as he was but you know what I don't get to vote on these things.
3: So. Yeah I, I wish they would enlist the Packaday podcast and, and give us each a vote on how to get this figured out but yeah this this top 10 was interesting because you talk about the other mentions Daniel Hunter was number 11. Zedarius Smith comes in at 12. Then you have Clowney, Matt Judon, uh, Yannick and Gakwe as well as the honorable mentions and and obviously since we're a Packers centered group was Zedarius what will it take for him to jump into this top 10 if they do this list again next year? Because, like we said, this is a loaded group. Like, all these guys are are very good to great players, to Hall of Fame-level players. What does Z have to do in 2020? to jump into this top 10?
4: I'd say, I think even if he had a season like he had last year, I think that's going to do a lot to get him into the list, just consistently, or consistency I think is a key thing, and then getting closer to tw- maybe finishing with like 17 stacks, but also showing a little bit more in the run game, um, he still was productive in the run defense, but even just maybe getting some more hits in the backfield, he had 17 tackle for losses, which is a career high for him, but... Doing that again, maybe adding a couple more to that, but I think the biggest area he can improve in is just run defense, and if he does that, I think he's just chewing to get in. I honestly,
5: I don't think he can make the list unless he blows up this year. I think that he is going to run into the issue of he doesn't put up quite enough sacks, he doesn't do quite enough other things, he's not a, he's not a superstar on a bad defense, he's a star on a decent on an average defense like demarcus lawrence is a star on a bad defense and we'll talk about other guys on that defense in a minute but like cam jordan is a star on a average defense so you have to be either a star on a bad defense or a superstar on a good defense like tj watt played on a loaded defense last year but he was a superstar for them with production and like joey bosa it, like, it's this, it's this like, recency, or it's not a recency bias, but it's, like, an anti-recency bias. Z had a better year last year than the majority of the guys on this list, but all these other guys have had either better... Years. Like, Von Miller had a down year last year, there's no doubt about it. And Z outperformed him in basically every category, but Von Miller has also been an elite edge rusher for, like, ten years. So you're not going to just knock him off just because he has one down year, right? So I think that Z has to put up a superstar level year in order to actually crack this list next year and it's really unfortunate. It sucks that there's so many good edge rushers in this league and I think you should be on the list but again, we don't get votes. You're going to see guys that have better name recognition make more money or this or that or play in a bigger market make the
3: list. Yeah, I'm I'm with you guys on that. So let's move on to linebacker because we're already going pretty long and heads up no one connected to the Packers is on either on the top ten list or the honorable mention. so Damn. We'll be able to this one too fairly quickly. So we had the linebacker at number one, Bobby Wagner. I don't think there's any surprise there with the retirement of Luke Kuechly that Bobby Wagner is the number one inside linebacker in the NFL. But number two makes me happy because per, we talked earlier about un, guys who are viewed as underrated. Levante David has quietly carved out an extremely productive career but no one ever talks about him down in Tampa. And he has been, I think of London Fletcher when I think of David, with Just consistent, making a ton of tackles, making plays year in, year out, but not getting any recognition for it. And then Eric Kendricks comes in at number three, Darius Leonard at four, and Demario Davis at number five. So uh, you, for you guys, what do you guys think of that top five list?
4: Um, I think they definitely, you can't go wrong with Wagner at one, that had to be the choice. And I know you mentioned already with, keeply retiring, and we mentioned this before the podcast started. I think this is the most accurate list that they put together, so I'm good with the people that they put in here.
5: I personally would have ranked um, Darius Leonard over um, Eric Hendricks, but that's out of, in the top five. That's the only switch I would make. I think just Darius. I, like I live in Indiana, and I so I've watched a lot of Colts games over the last couple of years. And Darius Leonard's a freak man. Like this dude's everywhere. They, like he's called the maniac. This dude is literally all over the field, nonstop. And so I think I would have put him at three over Kendrick's at four but or and over Kendricks at three, but that's just me personally. And I'm trying to see if I can find this. There was a stat I saw the other day where Levante David actually has outdone Bobby Wagner in like ninety percent of the like major categories for linebackers in his career and he's actually outdone Luke Keekly in a lot of categories. But he's also played on like I mentioned just in the edge rusher category, he's played on bad defenses. And no one cares about a guy putting up good stats on a bad defense.
3: The last time anyone cared about a Buccaneer linebacker since Derek Brooks. <laughs> which, <laughs> okay. Which is, which, which is sad for Levante David. Okay, so here's the, qu-
5: here's the, like, the category. So it's Levante David, Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner.
3: Games played,
5: Levante David. Total tackles, Keekley with 1,092 over Levante David's 1,008. Solo tackles, Levante David, who has about 30 more. Tackles for loss, Levante David with about 40 more. Sacks. Ten more than Luke Kuechly. Interceptions. Luke Kuechly wins that by seven. Passes defense. Luke Kuechly wins that by 21. Notice I have not said Bobby Wagner won any category yet. Forced fumbles. Lamonte David with 21. Next closest, Kuechly with seven. Fumble recoveries, 14. Luke Kuechly, nine. Bobby Wagner, nine. Takeaways forced, 32. Luke Kuechly had 25. Bobby Wagner, 15. So, Bobby Wagner has consistently played well, or played really, really well on a good defense. Levante David has played great on a bad defense. So seeing him go at least second on this list, I think was extremely well-deserved. And if someone wanted to make the case for him at number one, I could see it, but I could also see Bobby Wagner because he's traditionally better in coverage. But it's not like Levante David is behind these guys by some massive chasm.
3: No, you're right. And I think what helps Wagner is that he's kind of like the face of that defense now, and he's the... He was kind of like the general in the middle of that Seattle juggernaut defense that they had, but David, like I said, he's the London Fletcher of the current era. He's been so good for so long, but people don't know his name, and hopefully seeing him up here will change that. Uh, The next five on the list, Deion Jones, Tremaine Edmonds, Jamie Collins, CJ Mosley, and Fred Warner. Uh, the only one I could maybe think about maybe Warner because again another young player we we need I want to see him do it again over guys like uh, Jalen Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch, Corey Littleton, Joe Schobert, Devin Bush, Zach Cunningham, and Roland Smith the honorable mentions. I would like to see probably Jalen Smith maybe in place of Warner because like we talked about Nick Bosa can Warner do it again on a defense that did lose a little bit from last year. Like, he, he was protected so well in San Francisco with that defensive line. Is that going to happen again this year?
5: One man, one beef you? with the Ninja. What's your beef? Ninja Warner, man. Come on, now. That's super applicable to the football field. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think about – uh, no, you're fine. What do you guys
4: think about Jamie Collins at eight? I just – I know he had a really good season. He had a good – he's good with the Patriots, but, again, he he's leaving the Patriots, and we saw what happened last time he left, like – is it just he's really good for their system, and so he's a great Patriot, but he might not be a great like a top ten linebacker everywhere else.
3: I think going to a team coached by Brian Flores, a former Belichick assistant, can help, along with like Van Noy, because I think he's in Miami again, right? No, he's
4: going to uh, he's, he's going, going to, to Patricia. Try. Yeah, a different yeah. Patriots.
3: Add a D. <laughs> so okay, then then maybe not. I've been wrong before. Uh, <laughs> I think because Pat- I'm not sure Patricia will make it through the season. Yeah. Right? So then, then I think you got a point because yeah, Collins struggled in Cleveland. He he was good in New England, but New England's let him now let him go twice for a reason. Yep. So that could be the case. That you could be right there, but then you know guys behind them. Uh, Mosley was hurt all last year. Jalen Smith got injury issues. Uh, Roquan Smith has some I mean, injury issues. He's kind of underwhelmed. So it's, it's matter, talking talk about how big injury issue with, with his neck. Yeah, like that's like that's not his first neck injury in his career either.
5: Like he dealt with them in college as well.
3: So yeah, and whereas we talked about how insanely deep the edge Russia group was, this one this this spot's not as deep. So I think some some of these guys are almost in there by default. Yeah, but it's 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 a very it's some some interesting questions, but I do think this list is pretty accurate, and it's. Probably the least controversial of the all the ones we have.
4: Yeah, You're just the one thing. Looking at the honorable mentions, and I'm I'm happy we got Christian Kirksey. I think he's going to be, if he stays healthy, a great linebacker. But just seeing Corey Littleton and Joe Schobert on here just makes me wish you kind of brought one of those guys in as well.
5: Yeah, we can't have it all. Okay, we're not we're not allowed to have nice things. No wide receivers for you. No good linebackers. You will get a backup quarterback and a backup running back, and you will like it. <laughs>
3: Hey, when those guys carry to the Packers Super Bowl in 2025, we'll be happy. <laughs> I,
5: know, I know, I know, I know, and every time someone asks me, because people know I'm a Packer fan, people are like, "So, how do you feel about the draft?" And I'm like, "I get why they did it. I just don't like it right now." Okay, in five years, I will like it, but right now, I don't.
3: No, I know it was it was weird. Yeah. Fair enough. Let's let's move on to the secondary. We got two more position groups left. We'll go to the corners here. Uh, number one, Stephon Gilmore. No shocks there. He. Since he went to New England, he has just gotten himself better and cemented himself as the best corner of football. He was absolutely dynamic last year, and and he is really the only guy in that defense that you have to worry about at this point. Other um, Ramsay at two. I'm kind of surprised by that. I I thought he had some up and down issues, and his departure from Jacksonville wasn't the greatest. But Trey White at three, I'm happy with. I, I Tradavius White, I think, is an underrated guy in Buffalo because he's in Buffalo and nobody wants to be there. Trey White should but have been I, two. I agree, but what are you guys' thoughts on those top three? I'm
4: like, with what you guys both hinted at and Gage just said. I think uh, White should have been number two. Uh, Ramsey's good, but also he's just a little, inc- like, he's talented, and but he's just inconsistent. Um... I like I like White at two, but if Ramsey if Ramsey is three, I'd be good with that.
5: I I looked at the rest of the list, and there's not anyone else. Like maybe Marshawn Lattimore, I would bump up, but I'm not bumping him over either of those top three guys because when Jalen Ramsey's on, he's he's on. He can match up with any receiver in the NFL, just like Trey White, just like Stephon Gilmore. Uh, the quote that's in here is one veteran quarterback says that he's like a Mari Cooper of corners, a supreme talent who just leaves you wanting more. And I agree with that, but Trey White brings you that every single week. So I would put him to Gilmore last year outside of getting bossed by Devontae Parker in Week 17. Gilmore was just shut down all year long. So I would, I'm okay with Gilmore one. I would put R- White at two, Ramsey at three, just because when Ramsey's on, he's on. There's no, there's no way around it. So.
3: I like the top three as is. Yeah, I'm with you guys. both. Uh, Trey White's too. He's the only guy I seen you can take a flying elbow from Gronk and actually get better. <laughs> so I, th- I think good for him. Uh, the next you guys, Darius Slay at number four. Man, am I glad he's not in the NFC North anymore. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Marshall Lattimore at five. Marlon Humphrey coming off an all-pro season at six. And Patrick Peterson at seven. Uh, so we'll go with those four guys. Uh, wh- what do you guys think of those rankings? And where would you... Where'd you put Pat Peterson if he wasn't on the Cardinals his entire career? He
4: he only had he was only targeted ninety no not ninety eight times. Um, I had it up here, I lost it. But he 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 gave a completion percent of sixty seven percent. He's really good. I just I don't know. he's is he just a really good player on a bad defense? Is that? Could that be Patrick Peterson, or do you think he'd be higher on the list if he was on a better defense?
5: I personally think that Patrick Peterson is a better player than Darius play. Um, I think that he wasn't targeted last year because the corner opposite him is just so bad. Mm. Like, well, and not even necessarily so bad. He's just like, like Byron Murphy was good for a rookie corner last year, but like Pat Pete. Is one of the few corners that can cover even in the slot, and I respect that tremendously. Because, and that's one reason why I knocked Darius Slay and I knock Richard Sherman. Like Darius Slay can shadow all over the field, but he doesn't always. But he doesn't go into the slot, which in this age of teams constantly trying to get an advantage on offense and taking Devonte Adams and Julio Jones and all these other elite elite receivers and putting them in the slot, and you know that the number one corner is not going to go there. That's 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 a weakness for your defense. I understand that that's not his game, and he's gonna wipe out whoever's outside. But I need to know that my number one corner can go inside with a guy, and will still cover him. And I, Pat Pete will do that. And if you told me that Pat Pete was five, like you just moved everyone up, and you moved Darius Clay down to like six, and Pat Pete was five, I'd be okay with that. I. This is just something that I've always had an issue with. If a corner wants to be a true shutdown corner and you want him to do shadow coverage like Darrell Revis and cover everywhere, you have to be able to go and cover the guy wherever he's at. Doesn't matter what side of the field he's at on, what position he's lined up in, go cover him. It's your job.
3: Fair enough. So as we get to 8, 9, and 10, at number 8 in Baltimore, Marcus Peters, who rejuvenated his career in Baltimore after getting traded over there, Xavier Howard from Miami at 9, and Byron Jones coming in at number 10, now the highest-paid corner in football. Uh, what do you guys think? And am I the only one who thinks Marcus Peters probably should be in the top ten right now? I was that gonna he s- shouldn't. I don't think so. Okay. I was
4: actually, I was gonna say I was gonna say that too because with he revitalized his career in uh with Baltimore. Like he did not have a good stint with the Rams, but part of it if he's playing with Earl Thomas now on that defense. He's going to a different system where he's I don't know. He's just part of the machine, I guess. He's not really. I don't know. I'm looking at it last year. Like, he gave up 14 receptions and Marquise Goodwin. Uh, Mohammed Sanu, eight receptions, 93 yards. Robert Woods burned him for 98 yards. Emmanuel Sanders burned him for 84 yards. It's just, I don't think he's a top top 10 corner. His personality, I think he's kind of with Ramsey, too, where, like, he has a great personality. He's outspoken. He. But I just, I don't think he should be a top-ten. I think he relies too much on, he has safety help, and I don't know. I could be wrong, but.
5: I think that he's now in the perfect system. So the whole big issue with him throughout his career has been he will go for the like for the pick rather than going for the tackle. Like he's got more interceptions in he's got 27 picks in five years. Stephon Gilmore has 24 in eight seasons, and Pat Pete has 25 in nine seasons. So he's already got more picks than either of those guys, and he's played three less years than Gilmore and four than Peterson. But he's now in the perfect system, like you said. He's playing with Earl Thomas now. He now can go make those gambles, and that's the entire reason why he's gotten paid money is because he's gonna like he's gonna create turnovers. And in this league where it's all about getting the ball back to your offense, like that's the whole reason that Kansas City doesn't invest in their like doesn't invest in their defense. They're concerned about their offense and the defense is just trying to get stops, like get stops, get the ball back. And Peterson's gonna do that. He's going to go out, he's going to get picks, and he's going to get your the ball. And the more possessions the offense has, the better chance you have a win in the game. He's going to get burned. I don't like that. I don't love that he's going to get burned, but I do love that he's going to go get me at least five picks every single year just because he's going to go make those plays. And on those five picks, we like on the offensive side of the ball, we've got to convert. Looking at the honorable mentions, I think Jair and Sherman have a case. We'll talk about them in a minute. I also love Casey Hayward, but um, I can see taking Peters off the list, but at the same time, I also think that he is arguably the best on this list about like, getting the ball, getting stops for your team, and getting the ball back for a year, four year off end. And I think that's why he's put in this high.
3: Yeah, I'm with you to an extent. I think Peters on this list, because he does make those big plays, but, but also like what James said, he, he does, when he makes those gambles, and if he misses, it's... It's a lot of yards. Even with Earl Thomas, it's going to be a lot of big plays because Thomas will be so deep that he may not be able to recover in time enough with Peters. And that was his issue in Kansas City when he was there was that he would take those gambles and get torched with, without Eric Berry behind him. So I think if you need an elite safety behind you, I think that dings you a little bit. But I, I agree with you also with the honorable mentions that you said, Gage, where Sherman and Jair could definitely make a case. They came in at eleven and twelve over guys like Howard and Jones. But also on the list was Denzel Ward, Casey Hayward, Joe Hayden, Kyle Fuller, JC Jackson, and Steven Nelson. And so again, being Packer centric, we'll talk about Jair Jair Alexander a little bit here. What does he have to do to jump into this next this top ten if they do this again next year? What what kind of years he have to have? to become a truly a top 10 a week corner. Uh,
4: I think a big thing is getting his interceptions up. He had two last year. Uh, he was also targeted 98 times, which I think he's going to have to get that down. I think if you really want to be truly a shutdown corner, like you, I don't know, he just, there so are times he, where he's out of position, and sorry, go ahead. No,
5: no, no, no. I was going to ask a quick question because I know you've had this number, these numbers pulled up the whole time. He was targeted 98 times. What was his catch percentage that he allowed? Do you have that? Uh,
4: he allowed 55, which was at
5: 57%. Okay, so, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. So I just I just wanted to say that I'm like, yeah, he was targeted 98 times, but if he allowed a catch on just like basically one out of every two targets, that's not bad.
4: Yeah, I just want to see him get to the point where quarterbacks are not wanting to target him 98 times, which that's I know fair. it's not one quarterback. It's just getting that I guess reputation around the league.
5: Yeah, that's fair. I was just I was curious about that factor because you can say, oh, this guy got targeted a hundred times last year, but. He allowed five catches, so it's so it's kind of one of those. So I just wanted to see what the number happened to be. Thanks. Oh yeah, no for sure. And I I think
4: he's I I think he's going to take the next step, and I think a big way to do it is interceptions. I know I already said that, but I think last year too though he was in a lot of he was in position to make interceptions. He had a, he had quite a, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm remembering quite a few drops from him that he, he could have taken the other way. But
5: he did have 17 passes defense last year, so he got his hands on a lot of balls. Yes, yeah. doesn't always come down with them. So yeah, I think that that's something he needs to do more of next year. Like if and if he's not going to like turn that into a ton of picks, maybe he's never going to be a hands guy that comes down with ten picks like Charles Woodson. But if he if I can make sure that he's like comp- getting like below fifty percent completion percentage, even if he's still getting targeted that high of a percentage of time, I I, I can live with that. I can live with him getting targeted a hundred times if he allows less than fifty percent completion and maintains high pass defense. And also, I love seeing him get his hands on the ball. He only had one forced fumble last year, but I would love to see just a compilation of him ripping the ball away from people.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, that one forced fumble is pretty badass where he uh, ripped it out of, was it Noah offense? Noah offense. Yeah.
3: yeah, it was Noah offense. Yeah, he, just took, he literally just took it from him. Yeah, Titan on. one, no offense, yep. Well, that's a different <laughs> So as we continue, let's move on to the safeties. And this is one I'm looking forward to discussing. Uh, the number one safety listed is Jamal Adams. Whether he remains with the Jets through this, who knows. But he's number one. Harrison Smith at two. Mika Fitzpatrick at three. And Derwin James at number four. Uh, I personally would have Harrison Smith at one because uh, I think he's one, he's done it for longer and he is he was great when he came into the league and he is not dropped off I don't think Adams I think would have it too and then Minka and Derwin James I don't know because he's missed m- half of his career now with an injury so I think much like we've talked about other younger guys I need to see more of it before I keep put him at as high as he is but what are your guys' thoughts on the top four? Um,
5: the so the main knock on Smith, like in the voting, oh everyone, because obviously this is projecting for 2020. Like, who would you rather, or how would you rank them heading into 2020? And the knock on Smith is that he's 31. Like, that's literally that's the only negative thing that's said about him in his entire thing here is that he's only 30, is, is that he's 31 versus, obviously, Jamal Adams is 24. I can understand wanting to put Harrison Smith there. He's great in pass coverage, uh, great in run defense. He's just, he's great all over the field. So, but if I'm gonna knock him down just because of age, I can understand that, especially considering he's basically six and a half years older than Jamal Adams. I think Mink is really high up here, but I think that that's mostly because he's, like, he ge- kind of like Marcus Peters. He generates a lot of picks and a lot of turnovers. And I don't know if I would have put him that high. Plus, he's already complaining about his role in Pittsburgh. He wanted traded out of Miami because he didn't like the way they were using him. And then he went to Pittsburgh, and they used him a different way, and he didn't like that, and then he doesn't want to be in Pittsburgh anymore. Dude, just play play the damn game.
4: Yeah, that's not a good look for someone to get. Especially because it didn't even seem like he just revitalized or, like, turned his season around. It seemed like he was... A key reason the Steelers' defense kind of took that next step, even though they have other pieces on the team that were really dominant too. But uh, I'm with you that Derwin James, I think, is too high on this list. I think someone that's injured so much, or not so much, he's going into his third year, correct? Yeah, third year. So, like, yeah, he missed the whole season already. Like, I don't think you can base off something that happened two years ago and you don't know how he's going to come back from his injury to say he's the fourth best safety right now.
5: What was his injury? Does anybody remember? I think there's something with his foot. Was that a... Yeah, it was a lower... It was lower body. Was it... it, well, I, I, it, was, oh, it was a stress fracture in his fifth metatarsal. Really? That cost him to miss the entire
1: year? Jeez.
5: I knew it was lower body. I just couldn't remember what it was because I was like, if it's an Achilles injury, I'm really nervous about it, but if it was, like, depending on what it was, I was a little less concerned.
4: I think it's one, too, where, like, they just... They saw how the season was going and didn't want to risk a re-injury on something that good if he's so young.
5: That makes sense. Um, yeah, I I personally like Derwin James at four just because I don't know who behind him I would put ahead of him. Like, that's, that's my whole big thing here it is That's fine if you want to move him. To, who would you put above Derwin James then if you wanted to move him down?
3: I'd move Byard up.
5: Kevin Bayard? Okay.
3: Because uh, he's... You talk about a guy who took advantage of playing on a bad defense, but with what Bayard did in the back end of that Tennessee group... He, they're a very average secondary with him. Without him, they are basically the 2011 Packers. Like, it's, they, he is a guy who makes such a big impact. And even Honey Badger, with, what, with the impact that he's he bounced around, but with the impact that he always makes out there, you have to watch where that little guy is going. So I think with him, I think both those guys could be above Derwin right now because I think, I think they're a little more proven than Derwin James. But, again, safety, not this most deep group especially when you're mixing both strong and free in this list. But it, it's, it's interesting, the, so much value how they put on, if you're younger, you're going to re-rank tire, which is going back to the Harrison Smith thing. Especially in at safety spot, I don't, I'm not sure that it's as big of a factor if you're playing free or strong safety.
5: Can we talk about the fact that Tyron Matthews seemingly been in the league for a decade and he's still only 28
4: I was just thinking that. When I saw he was 28, I was like, I feel like he should be in his mid-30s. That's what I was thinking (laughs) when I saw J.J. Watt
5: earlier. Like, J.J. Watt is 31, and I'm like, how? How are you 31 years old? You have been in the NFL since I was born. But, yeah, Tyron Matthew is great. Um, I was just curious because I was like, if you want to move Derwin down, that's fine, but I wanted to see where you had him. I think Matthew is the perfect example of just let him do what he does. Like. I talked to uh, Tyler about this last week and I was on another like meeting podcast thing earlier this week where I was like, just don't force a guy to do something that he doesn't want or isn't good at. Like Matthew, the Chiefs defense is basically like, just go make plays. Like we, We're not going to ask you to do anything specific. Just go out there, make plays on the ball, and make stuff happen for us. And he does that. He's not a lead in deep coverage. He's good at just messing around around the line of scrimmage. He is what... I think he's a good example of what Jamal Adams should aspire to be, just, like, he's, uh, Jamal Adams is going to be bulkier. Like, I mean, Adams is going to work around the line of scrimmage a lot, but he can just, just go out and make plays for us, and we'll be happy with you more often than not.
4: Do you think is uh, the only person coming off a Super Bowl win who didn't have, who wasn't ranked ridiculously high? Like, for the list?
5: Well, his lowest ranking was off the ballot, so I think that that, like... I think that he didn't get a ton of Super Bowl bias compared to the other guys that we've talked about today. Yeah. Um, and thinking back to last week when I did this with Tyler, the only person on, like, the 49ers or the Chiefs that really got any excess pub was, uh, like, George Kittle was ranked really high. Uh, I think Mike McBlinchey was an honorable mention. But they didn't really... So I think the, it was mostly on the defensive side of the ball that you had guys getting this Super Bowl glow, Super Bowl, like, bump. So I think that Matthew might have been not getting a ton of pub, but at the same time, Justin Simmons was really good last year. Um, Eddie yeah. Jackson is a one of the only free true free safeties in the NFL. Uh, and then Buda Baker is literally the younger version of, of Tyron Matthews. So I think that he is exactly where he should be if you wanted to move him up above and then Derwin James down to six. You can make that argument, but it's not like... I w-
3: it's not like I'm going to put him at four. I'd put Kevin Byard above him, still.
4: So. Yeah, no, I agree.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. And so you just listed uh, seven through nine, Justin Simmons, Eddie Jackson, Buda Baker. Micah Hyde comes in at number 10. Love it. And, and again, <laughs> Packer fans weep everywhere.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, honorable mentions Jimmy Ward, Landon Collins, Earl Thomas, Devin McCourty, who has been in the league forever and Anthony Harris, who is franchised by the Vikings. And I, I knew he wasn't going to be in the top ten, but I would have liked to see at least an honor, maybe an honorable mention for Adrian Amos, because consistency is so valued from that safety spot. And he, he's, Amos isn't going to make the big, flashy plays, but the value that a guy like that brings to a team, where we see that with Devin McCourty, who brings that consistency and that stability to New England's secondary I think it would have been worth at least mentioning. So I, I think the biggest thing for me, as far as the, how the Packers go, is having Adrian Amos at least be mentioned for what he can do to solidify a secondary.
5: I was talking to Tyler about this last week. We were talking about guys we thought might get mentioned, and when I met, when we got to safety, I was like, Amos should be mentioned as an honorable mention player. I was like, he's not going to make the top ten. He just doesn't make. He doesn't make enough splash plays. He does. He is the definition of a high floor player. He is going to make the right play nine times out of ten. He's going to be in the right position. He can match up against uh, tight ends, safeties, or tight ends, slot corners, or slot receivers, whatever. He can do everything you want him to do. He's just never going to put up super high, gaudy stats. And I think that that's the only reason he's not going to be mentioned on here. Anthony Harris had a crazy year last year. Devin McCourty plays for New England, which had 17 players mentioned today. Earl Thomas is... Because the, the fact that he's not in the top 10 was kind of surprising, but yeah. But at the same time, I kind of get it, considering last year was the first time he played an entire season in, like, six years. Landon Collins, um, I was surprised to see him as, like, 12, because he... I feel like he got a lot of pub when he was in New York, and then as soon as he went to Washington, I just I don't hear about him, and that just because it could be because it's a bad defense. And Jimmy Ward getting some uh, getting some notice. I think that that might be a better example of a guy who's getting that Super Bowl glow, like him and Jaquisky Tart were talked about nonstop throughout the playoffs last year.
4: Yeah, going back to Amos, I, you guys are completely right. I honestly would be surprised if he's never really he never really cracks the top ten.
5: Um, you would or would not be? I would not be. Like, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was just, I want to make sure.
4: Yeah. In other words, I would be surprised if he cracked the top ten, even just, like, in his career, because he just seems like he's always going to be someone, you guys already said this multiple times, he's not going to make the huge plays, but he's going to make the right plays. He's always going to be in the right spot, and I think he's just going to be the definition of the glue guy on that defense, especially in the young secondary. With Tremont, with Tremont leaving, or right now not being on the team, I think that's his role for the defense, too, next year is just, He's a, really, he's a really good culture guy, and I don't think those players are really going to make the list.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. With the, with the way the safety spot goes, if you're not going to make those flash plays, you're not going to be getting a ton of recognition, and I, I am with Gage 100%. I think Jimmy Ward is the Super Bowl push, with getting him as high as he did, because I think he kind of watched out as a corner, goes to safety, and now he's viewed much more highly. And, and So I, I, I think I would probably would probably put, put McCourty at 11, and Thomas at 12, for honorable mentions, because... McCourty's that guy who's been consistently, and he's now, at this point, he's the ultimate Patriot with, with uh, Tom Brady gone, so McCourty's kind of that guy, but I but otherwise, I think this list is pretty solid, and so we, those are your top 10s at, at interior defensive line, edge rusher, linebacker, corner, and safety. It's, it's an interesting list, uh, one packer ranked as Kenny Clark as the number 10 defensive lineman, Zayarius Smith as an honorable mention corner, Jair Alexander or honorable at Jair Alexander honorable mention corner, and that's it for Packers being ranked on defense. Hopefully, we'll see some growth this year and and some maybe some guys on these lists next year going forward in 2021. With that being said, we'll start to wrap things up here, and Jimmy will go to you first. Uh, where can people find you? What are you working on?
4: Um, people can find me at Jimmy underscore C08 on Twitter. I'm on other places, too, but that's just pictures of my daughter. Uh, (laughs) Anywhere else is just family stuff. So, for Packer stuff, it's all Twitter. Uh, Right now, I am talking with uh, Josiah DeGuerra on Sunday, and then I have my second part of my Jamal Williams interview coming out next week, talking to Aaron Jones next week, and then hopefully Raven Green and Oren Burks are in the works. So, just continue my... uh, player interview series and trying to get out as many pieces on them as possible.
3: Awesome to hear. Engage. Where can
5: people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at G Bridgeford NFL, uh B-R-I-D-G-F-O-R-D no E. Um, I am working on some stuff for Dynasty Nerds. Uh, I believe I have a mock draft coming out next Wednesday for the Dynasty Draft Room. Um, I put out con- generally two articles a week for the Denver Stiffs. I'm constantly putting out film stuff for next year's draft class. It, it, you name it, I'm probably working on it. Uh, right now, I'm keeping really busy with, uh, the fact that I can't really go outside. I go to work every day, but, um, I'm generally still doing other stuff. Um, you, if you go on my Twitter feed, there will be content there for me or someone else. Uh, I'm always, will- and I'm always willing to talk about literally any sport, any team, not just Packers. I'll do, talk about anything you want.
3: That was great. And you can find me on Twitter at Mike Wetland, W-E-N-D-L-A-N-D-T, and it's all one, all one word, no underscores scores or spaces, oh yeah find me talking about any sport really going on right now with baseball back I am beyond over the moon Uh, and I'll talk basketball hockey football even NASCAR if you want me to as well so just Find us there. Also find us wherever podcasts are found, whether it's Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. Find the Packet podcast. Give us a like. Give us a comment. Give us a subscription. Let us know what we're, how we're doing. And also find us on Twitter at Packet podcast and, and follow through that all of our great uh, colleagues and tri- contributors here as well. So again, every day more Packet Day content. And for Jimmy Christensen and for Gage Bridgeford, this is Mike Winland saying so long, everyone. Stay safe, always carry the G, and Go Pack Go. I'm mm-hmm.